Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Well, I want to welcome you to our continuing study in the letter of Jude, the small letter right before the final book of the New Testament, the final book of the Bible, Revelation. And in this letter, Jude, we've been focusing on what Jude has been communicating in this letter and how he wanted to write a letter that was about our common salvation. But the Holy Spirit of God wouldn't let him write that letter. Instead, the letter that we have is a letter of warning. And Jude is writing and he's instructing about our common enemy and it's the enemy of a false teacher and the false teaching that they bring. Jude reminded his readers of three historical places where God's judgment came swiftly, justly, and drastically upon rebellion. Now, last Sunday, we unpacked the three errors of the false teachers, as these are individuals who claim to be superior and have a better knowledge, but in fact, they were defiled, defiant, and disrespectful. And condemnation came swiftly on those who claimed to be superior to Scripture. And listen, judgment always comes swiftly because no one lives forever. Our lives are passing by so quickly. Life is so brief. And loved ones, let us remember how patient and how merciful God is toward us. Have you ever invited someone into your home and you said, make yourself at home. And then you found out they were actually bad company. <laughs> and you were thinking, why did I say make yourself to home? Listen, whoever we're influenced by, the company that we keep, it changes us. It, it makes us more like them or we are used by God to influence others and help them become and follow Jesus. So that's the question we want to think about today, and this is the importance of influence. Where are we keeping company? Who has the chief influence on our lives and upon the lives of our children? We will either influence others for righteousness' sake, or we'll come under the influence of others, of non-believers, and we'll suffer loss. Now listen to the strong and tender words from the Apostle Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 33, he writes, he says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Paul also wrote to the Romans chapter 12 and verse 21. He said, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So I want you to hear this warning today, church. Don't be overcome by evil. Don't be just always surrounded by influences that are not encouraging you to follow Jesus Christ. But overcome evil with good. Jude's focus is inside of the church, inside of the body of Christ, where we need wisdom from God. 
Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Hosea chapter 14 and verse 9, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Ephesians 5.15, Paul writes, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. This is my prayer, is that God will use this message today from this text in Jude to grow us in wisdom, to grow us in grace, that our influence is influencing others around us for what is right, and we don't give away our influence. Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter in Jude, so we're going to read today. But I want to start in verse 8. I want to get a running start so we have the context. Jude verse 8, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, he was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them. For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. This is the word of God. Loved ones, this morning, we want to unpack this. This is the reality. False teachers are destined for judgment. Okay, that's, that's just a reality. They're headed to judgment and everyone who follows with them. Therefore... This is our call to action. Let us choose to surround ourselves with influences of godliness. I'm I'm encouraging, I'm urging, I'm calling us as believers. Let's be surrounded by influences of godliness. We're not isolated. We're not going up to to live in the, the hills. We live and we shine the light of the gospel in our culture, but surround ourselves with influences of godliness. Why? Why would we do this? Number one, because judgment is pronounced. And we see this in verse 11, that woe to them. This is a death sentence. This is a pronouncement of judgment from Jude. And he pronounces it upon these individuals from the Old Testament, a trinity of evil. We're going to look at Cain, and we're going to look at Balaam, and we're going to look at Korah. And Jude says, woe to them. Woe to these false teachers. 
It's very similar to Isaiah 5, Habakkuk 2. And Jesus in Matthew 23, and as we've been doing in this, in this study, I'm going to give you time to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 23. And we've been taking longer portions of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. And Jesus is teaching, and we've referenced this. But let's be reminded, and you follow along there. Maybe it's on a tablet. Maybe it's on your phone. But I really want you to have it in your Bible where you can see the context, the chapters before, and the chapters that follow. Matthew 23, verse 1, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers." And call no man your father on earth. For you have one father who is in heaven. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual position. Forbidden that anyone in, in Christianity would ever call someone my teacher, my father. And they're not their human father. This is blatantly disregarded in Catholicism. Neither be called, verse 10, instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you. Okay, so here's this pronouncement of judgment from Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, there it is again, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it, and whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him and by him who dwells in it, and whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out at a gnat and swallowing a camel. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you. This is death to you. This is what Jesus is saying. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all of the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of of the righteous Abel, that's Genesis, to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, that's the end of the Jewish Old Testament, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now listen to Jesus' response. And we have to keep this in mind as we go through Jude's message. This has been a sentence of judgment, a death sentence upon those false teachers who are draped in religion. And this is Jesus' response. It's not one of of absolute just fury and anger, it's compassion. And he is angry and upset with those religious leaders who are leading others into sin, into judgment. And he cries out, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a strong word from Jesus. That's a strong pronouncement of judgment, but it's also an invitation. If you would have just gathered under my wing, then all of God's wrath and his judgment, it fell on Christ or it falls on you. It will fall on me if we're not trusting in Christ alone. Paul, he wrote and expressed the weight of this. And and when he said, if I don't preach the gospel in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says, woe to me at the end of this verse. If I do not preach the gospel. Do you understand what Paul is saying there? He's saying, may there be a death sentence on me if I don't stand up and boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's our only hope. Our hope is not found in ourselves. It's not found in our church. It's not found in religion, what we do and what we don't do. It's found in Christ alone. And Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach this good news. So loved ones, when we think about who we surround ourselves with, the influences that we come under and the influence that we are to others, number one, judgment is pronounced and Jude is very clear about this. But number two, judgment is deserved. 
And here he lays out the evidence for the case. Judgment is deserved. And we go back to, we go back to this little letter. We go back to Jude. Who and what are these false teachers like? In every category, their example and who they're exactly like, they're the worst case scenario. Like, you should just look at this. I should look at this and say, why would I ever follow that kind of a person? How foolish do we have to be to follow this, you know, oh, who, who's your friend? Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer? Oh, no. We would say, no way. You got to find better friends than that, better neighbors than that. Whose example do these false teachers follow? Three examples from the Old Testament that Jude gives to us. Number one, he gives to us the example of Cain. Cain, the, the first son born to Adam and Eve, their hope. Is this going to be the redeemer? Is this the seed of the woman? Is this what the hope of humanity? Here he is, his name is Cain. No, he was filled with hate. We don't want anyone to be like Cain. He's the archetype of a murderer, of someone filled with hatred. Go with me back to Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 4. In Genesis chapter 4, we see this account. Adam and Eve have been banished from the garden. Life is now difficult. Childbearing is now painful. And a son is born, and it says in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And you see the hopefulness there. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and, said, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry. He was very angry. And his face fell. You can picture a kid, and he's just mad, but he's a man. He's throwing a fit. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry there in verse 6? And why has your face fallen? Verse 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? You hear the invitation the Lord is giving to Cain to do what is right, to repent, to change your heart, change your ways. And if you do not do well, here is the warning from the Lord to Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. It's like a wild beast waiting for you to step out. It's crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Watch out, Cain. Beware. Cain spoke to, his, to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? And it wasn't because the Lord didn't know. The Lord is simply asking this question for Cain, the opportunity to admit what he has done. What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you will be cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. What a sad, tragic account here. 
Cain would ignore the warning from God. He would persist in his disobedience and he would just get more and more furious and jealous and filled with hatred that God accepted Abel's blood sacrifice and didn't accept the sacrifice of Cain. Very similar to Adam and Eve clothing themselves in fig leaves and the Lord says, that's not going to cover your sin. That's not going to show the right way of sacrifice. And an animal was slain to, to atone, to cover their sins, looking and anticipating for the seed of the woman that would come and Jesus who would lay down his life. And here we have these sacrifices and Cain is just filled with hatred. He hates God, but he can't do anything against God. And so he takes out his brother who's made in the image of God and he murders him. This is the prototype Cain is, and this is why Jude mentions him. He's filled with hatred. This is where the apostle John in 1 John 3, as he is dealing with Gnosticism and false teachers and people who have this knowledge, but they're characterized by hatred. They're characterized by bitterness. They're characterized by they refuse to forgive and show mercy because they don't know anything about mercy, 1 John 3, 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother, and why did he murder him, John asks? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Can we just pause here and ask the question, well, we see what Jude is saying and we see Cain. What about me? What about you? What about our hearts, the condition of our hearts? Do we manifest this kind of love to those who are in our families and those who are in our church family? Are we characterized by love? Well, we go back to Jude and he brings up another individual and he brings up Balaam. He brings up this man named Balaam and Balaam was motivated by greed. And so he led Israel into immorality. They abandoned themselves for the sake of gain, Jude writes, to Balaam's error. Now, Balaam is an Old Testament prototype of a religious leader leading the people of God straight into the sins of immorality and idolatry. The account of this is Numbers 22, Numbers 23, and Numbers 24. I'm going to ask you if you're still in Genesis, just let's go to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. And we're going to just pick up this account in, verse, in chapter 25. This is the account of Balaam, all right, the, the people of God, they're traveling, and Balak, a king, the king of the Amalekites, he looks at them and he's, and he's threatened by them, and so he goes and he tries to hire Balaam to come curse the people of God. Three different times, Balaam blessed the people of God, made Balak upset. Why are you blessing them? I hired you to curse them. And Balaam responds with, well, I can only say what God puts in my mouth. And so he blesses them, and he blesses them, and he blesses them, and he's just furious. Balak is furious. This isn't going how he planned. You can read all of that account. 
But then in chapter 25, it begins to show what happened that Israel lived in Shittim and when the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab, these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel, verse 3, Numbers 25, yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, this is, this is a tragic event here. That, that God's people are everywhere. They're involved in sin. Immorality led to idolatry and God's people are led away. How did this happen? How did this judgment of God, God fall upon them? It says at the end of verse nine, nevertheless, those who died by the plague, 24,000 people died. This is a big deal. For Jude to reference this, it's a big deal. He's saying this is a problem. And it came in through one man's advice, one man's counsel. Go with me to Numbers 31, just a few pages to the right. And here it, we see behind the scenes. How did this all unfold? Where did this idea come from that Balaam wouldn't curse the people of God? So he gave the advice to Balak to corrupt the people of God. And by corrupting the people of God, he carried out a devastating blow to the Israelites. That in chapter 31, this vengeance is to come, this judgment the Lord remembered. Verse 16, behold these. On Balaam's advice, Numbers 31, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came upon the congregation of the Lord. There's the statement. There's the behind the scenes. What happened? What did Balaam do? He led to the corruption of God's people and it led to judgment because God must deal with sin. He must deal with idolatry. He must deal with our immorality. Now we move to the third example that Jude says, and he cites, and it's the example of Korah. Korah, this Old Testament figure, is a, is a man driven by rebellion, to be against authority. In Numbers chapter 16, we're, we're still probably there in the book of Numbers. If you just go back to Numbers 16, here's this man and his buddies, and they come against Moses and Aaron, who made you in charge? And why do we have to listen to you? And who do you think you are? Korah is a prototype of rebellion against God's ordained leadership. And so it was Korah and Dathan and Abiram, and they, they, they managed to get 250 others. And they're upset. And they come complaining to Moses in number 16. And in verse uh, 2, they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. All right, so here they come. You know these people. These are good people. These are men of God. And they come with these three guys, and they're coming against Moses. And they're coming against Aaron. 
Verse 3, they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Okay, they just paraphrase. Who do you think you are? We're all God's people. We shouldn't have to submit to you. We shouldn't have to listen to you. Who cares you bring the word of the Lord? No, we're not going to listen to you anymore. And here's where Moses, when he heard it, verse 4 of number 16, he fell on his face and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. And so there, this whole scene unfolds. And in the next morning, verse 12, Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, no, we will not come up. We're not listening to you. We're not going to listen to you anymore. And Moses was angry with them, it says in verse 15. And in verse 16, Moses said to Korah, be present, you and your company, before the Lord. Verse 19, then Korah assembled all the congregation against Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, verse 21, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And here, here we see the wisdom, the humility, and, and the leadership, the shepherding of Moses and Aaron. Those guys, they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you, and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. They interceded for the very people who were going against them. Oh, I have so much to learn about this. They prayed for them, said, Lord, don't bring judgment on the whole congregation because of these three yahoos, these three rebels. Don't judge the whole congregation and wipe them out because of them, because they listened to them. And they interceded for them. And so the Lord then says, all right, here's the deal. Tell everybody who's not with them to get away from them, to separate away from them. Don't be near them. Don't be influenced by them. And don't even try to, well, I still want to keep that door open. The Lord is saying, shut the door to these who are influencing the congregation for the unrighteousness and rebellion. We have, we have to learn this lesson, loved ones, because it comes across spiritual. It comes across so helpful. Oh, I was just trying to help the church. I was just trying to be, that's these guys. So it says in verse 26 that Moses spoke to the congregation. He says exactly what the Lord tells him to say. Depart, please. Please depart from the tents of these wicked men. Touch nothing of theirs lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan, this is one of the saddest accounts in the Bible, I think. 
Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and, their, and all their goods. So, that, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive in the Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And a fire went out and consumed the other 250 men. And the next morning, the children of Israel are complaining, Moses, you killed our friends. This is insane. This is crazy. And the judgment of God falls upon, and it says at the end of the chapter, though those who, that they prayed, in verse 48, he stood between the dead and the living. That's what preaching is. That's why preaching is more important than anything else on the Lord's day, is to be under the word because I'm standing between the living and the dead. And when you go, wherever you go, and you proclaim the gospel, that Paul said, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. We're standing between the living and the dead. And their only hope, our only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's turn and trust in Jesus. He stood between the living and the dead, and the plague was stopped. Verse 49, those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. Oh, loved ones, may we be sober at the warnings that are in the past that they serve in our present. And we listen and we learn and we take them to heart. That's why Jude, he didn't want to write this letter. He wanted to talk about our salvation and how wonderful Jesus, his half-brother, is and what he's done and how he's died on the cross and he's forgiven us and he will save us and all of the glories of salvation. But he said, I have to write you a letter of warning and I'm willing to write it. So then what exactly are these false teachers like? We've seen who they're like. The trifecta of trouble, Cain, Balaam, and Korah. But now Jude uses some illustrations just as you look out everywhere we go from the earth, from the sea, and the sky. So we're going to be remembering these wherever you go this afternoon, wherever you go this week, wherever you travel. Remember these illustrations that Jude provides. He gives six. What exactly are false teachers like? Well, first of all, he says they're dangerous. They're dangerous. They're, they're like hidden reefs. They're hanging around under the surface of the water, and they're waiting to shipwreck anyone who comes close. You're surfing, and you get turned over in a wave, and you go down and you hit one of these reefs, it can change your life. It can end your life. There they are, these false teachers. 
They're moving through congregations like they're one of everybody else. And Jude says, these are hidden reefs at your love feast as they feast with you without fear. There they are, but there's something missing. And it's a love and a reverence for Jesus Christ. They actually love themselves. And they're after positions. They observe the Lord's table. They're there. They're going through the motions. But they're dangerous. And so Jude is warning. 1 John chapter 2, the apostle of love says, here's what happens when somebody who used to be in fellowship and they, they swerve and they, they depart from us. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. They, they weren't a genuine believer. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. Why? That it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have, you all have knowledge. You need to know these things. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10, dealing with apostasy, dealing with someone who just persists in sin. They persist in immorality. They persist in, in living rebelliously. Maybe even persist in not gathering together in the fellowship of the body of Christ because everything else is more important. Hebrews 10, sobering here, verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. There's not a better sacrifice coming than Jesus. Verse 27, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing, loved ones. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is echoing the same warning from Jude. Do you say you belong to Christ? Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you can't live without the church. These individuals are dangerous. They're like the reefs right under the surface of the rocks and the water looks, you know, you see the waves coming in, but you can't see the danger that's right under the surface. And secondly, he says, these, the, their examples, they're, they're disastrous. They're like selfish shepherds. That's hard to say. Selfish shepherds. They're not there to serve the flock. They're, to, they're wanting to serve the flock to themselves. They want to eat the sheep. These are wolves that Jesus warned about that the Apostle Paul warned the Ephesian elders about in Acts 20, that Peter said, hey, shepherd the flock of God who is among you in 1 Peter 5. This is why we opened our service today with Psalm 23, remembering the good shepherd, the Lord. These shepherds are disastrous. They're destructive. They're deadly. Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse 7, so Jesus Again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes, verse 10, only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because why? He's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now hear the contrast. See the contrast. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So loved ones, what are Christian pastors supposed to be like after we see Jesus? Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. Well, we should see a contrast. The false teachers, they're disastrous. They're deadly. They feast on the sheep. They don't feed the sheep. They don't shepherd the flock of God. And thirdly, these individuals are useless. They're useless. They're like empty clouds and barren trees. Like empty clouds and barren trees. Jude writes, he says, they're waterless clouds swept along by winds. They're absolutely no help to those who follow them. These clouds that have no water, the wind just, you know, if you're in a time of drought, if you're in an area and you need water and there's no way that you're, you're going to be able to water your crops without rain, most of the world, this is how they function. They need rain at the right time. And here comes a cloud, and it comes, and the wind pushes it right over, and it's gone, and they get no benefit, and their crops dry up, and now how do they feed their family? And then comes a famine. This is, this is life and death. This isn't just, I'm going to have green grass or not green grass. This is life and death. Proverbs 25 and verse 14 says, says this, like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift, a gift he does not give. Oh, yeah, all right, mark me down. Grace forward, put me down for a thousand. Put me down, I'll be there. Oh, you know, I just... Oh, I'll be there, I'll help you uh, move. Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, that was yesterday? It's a waterless cloud. All the words, all talk, we say, no action. How much better that if we say something, we just, we do it. These are fruitless trees. In late autumn, Jude says, twice dead, uprooted. These are trees that should have fruit to bless others and, and yield so that you can survive, so that you can live. But in the end, all they have is just leaves and you can't eat those. They're useless. They're like empty clouds and barren trees. And fourthly, they're shameless. They're shameless. They're like foaming waves. These are wild waves of the seas, and they just keep casting up the foam of their own shame. This is in the video, this, this sermon intro video, and you see the waves coming in. It comes right out of this section of the text. 
that these waves just keep coming and they just keep coming. And, and last week, Ginger and I were able to be down at the pastors and wives conference and, and we were there and we walked on the beach and, and as we looked at, the, at what was coming up and at the, when the high tide comes in, it just brings all this, all this junk, all this filth and it's just laying on the beach. And, and when you walk through there, you be careful where you step because there's, there's sharp things in there, there's gross things in there and it just keeps coming and it keeps coming. You can clean the beach and they do. And the next day, there's, where'd that come from? Came out of the ocean. Well, I didn't see it in the ocean. No, but it's there. And these waves just keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up over and over and over. They just keep, their, their own shame just keeps foaming up. Ligon Duncan, he says it this way, they crash like waves. And all they do is stir up moral filth. All that activity, all that so-called ministry, all they're doing in the life of the church, and really all that it's washing up is more perversion, more filth. Now in the first century, and really for many centuries, the sea represented turmoil, and it represented fear and death and monsters and, and, and mythological characters coming out of the sea and the abyss and all of these uh, uh, things and understanding. And so when we see this in the sea, it's like this foam is coming up. It's, it's the, the worst of the worst. But I, in a heavy message like this, I want us to go to Revelation in chapter 21. And in Revelation 21, we see this turn, this turn of events. And in verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Right, don't we, we need a little daylight. We need a little fresh breath to come in in the middle of this sermon. And then the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. You hear that? Sea is gone. So John is looking in this revelation and this, this place of filth and death and mystery and darkness, it's gone. And what does he see in verse 2, Revelation 21? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. How beautiful is that scene? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will right now. Here's the reversal of the curse. This goes back to the garden. This is the curse reverse. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. Done. Gone. Dispensed with. This is our hope. But the false teachers, they don't have this hope because they're still filled with immorality and like foaming waves, it just keeps coming up and up and, and they're shameless about it. Number five, they're aimless. They're aimless. They're like, Jude says, they're like wandering stars. Aimless stars. Wandering stars, just where are they going? Like a shooting star. They don't last long. They're here and then they're gone from sight. But in the case of the false teachers, they leave behind them a trail of devastation. Anyone who follows them, anyone who buys into their theory of Dianetics or you know, you know, Scientology or Jehovah's Witness or Mormonism or Seventh-day Adventists, anyone who teaches you can lose your salvation or salvation is through baptism or church membership or keeping seven sacraments or whatever it may be, 
It's adding to Scripture. And they leave behind them only devastation, nothing of substance. A, a wandering star. You know, you can use the stars for navigation. Sailors use the stars to make their way through the ocean, to not get lost. But you can't, you can't use a wandering star, star, a shooting star. It doesn't help you. It's here, it's gone. Did you see it? No, I missed it. It came through a comet. Oh, I missed it. I was asleep. Gone. Well, guess you had to be there. But the stars, they're still fixed. They're held. The planets are useful. But these individuals, they're no use. They're no help. They're like wandering stars. So here's the question. When you look at all of these descriptions, they're dangerous, they're disastrous, they're useless, they're shameless, they're aimless. The point that Jude is making is why would you hook your wagon up to these guys? Sometimes ladies. Why would you hook up to the, this teaching when it's just like a hidden reef? They're like selfish shepherds. They're like empty clouds and barren trees. They're like foaming waves and wandering stars. Why? Why would you give your ear and give your influence to them inside of what, is, what they would perceive to be Christianity? And can I take it one step further? If we wouldn't do that inside of Christianity, why would we attach this to somebody outside of Christianity? Think about this. Judgment is pronounced. Judgment is deserved. Jude has made his case. And thirdly, we see that judgment is guaranteed. And he ends verse 13, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. There's no mystery here. Judgment is guaranteed. And we can look through human history and we see judgment came. It has come. It came swiftly. It came certainly upon Cain, upon Balaam, and on Korah. Each of those individuals were responsible for their own sin, but their sin affected the sin of others. That's why Jude is using them, that people followed them or people were hurt by them, people were killed by them. People died because they gave their ear to them. They said, Moses, Aaron, oh, there's Korah. I think Korah's got a good point here. I think I'm gonna follow Korah. Ground, gone, fire, plague, why? For people to say, yeah, maybe I should stick with the one who brings the word of the Lord. That always comes true. Is this man preaching himself or is this man preaching Christ as preeminent? That's the question that will always be applicable for us. Though these individuals are religious, they offer no lasting hope. Why? Why not? Because they're not offering salvation by grace. We just went through this, the five solas. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. No, they, they add to it. Oh, you gotta have this teaching, you gotta have that book, you gotta have this work, you gotta be, you know, baptism, you gotta have this, you gotta try not to do those things, and here's the other things, and don't eat this food and eat that food, and here all of these feasts and high holy days, it's all trying to commend oneself to God, but it doesn't save us. It doesn't help us. It just leaves us empty, frustrated, and condemned. 
judgment will come. Oh, it has come. And based on this guarantee, judgment will come. And we need to learn from Jude's examples of the, he used it from the land, from the sea, from the sky. God reigns over, over all of it. And Jesus will be vindicated and Jesus will be glorified as the one who is worthy, the son of God, the lamb slain for sinners. He is worthy and we are needy. We are unworthy. And he has made a way for sinners. This is good news, loved ones. The gospel is not just our hope. The gospel is the only hope for the world. And so here we are today on the Lord's Day or whatever day you're hearing this message and we have the hope that comes through out of a dark, heavy message from Jude from the Old Testament using examples and illustrations for us to be, wake up. Pay attention to who's influencing you. Pay attention to the influence that you're giving to others. Parents, the influence that we're giving to our, to our families, showing them, setting, setting before them what is most important. And here's the clue. It's not sports, and it's not hobbies, and it's not your job. It's Jesus. Does that hit real time in our lives? Oh, I pray that it does. John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, life that never ends. Loved ones, this is the gospel in one screen. We were made to know God, to worship him, to enjoy him forever, but our sin separated us from this holy God. Sins cannot be removed by doing good deeds. So paying the price for your sin, for my sin, Jesus came, born of a virgin, lived the life you could never live, I could never live, died the death that I deserve to die, and he was crucified, buried, and rose again the third day so that he could give to everyone life, life that never ends. And everyone who turns from their sin and trusts in him is given this never-ending, everlasting life. Do you know Christ? Do you have this life? Have you been forgiven? If not, today, today is the day, the opportunity for you to surrender your life. Child of God, for you, for me to remember, have we, have we forgotten how the Lord saved us and delivered us? Then remember, repent, and return, and go back and do the works from a heart filled with love. These false te teachers, they're, they're destined for judgment. Judgment is coming upon false teachers. It always has, and it always will. So let us, by the grace of God, choose to surround ourselves with influences of godliness, and let us be influenced of godliness. Why? Because judgment has been pronounced and judgment is deserved for all of us, especially on false teachers, and judgment is guaranteed it's coming. But Jesus is our hope if we're in him. Three questions for you to consider, for you to talk over, and we'll gather in small groups and we will unpack these and work these in. Think about this question, what happens when decisions, when I'm driven by, when you're driven by hate, greed, or rebellion, what happens? What's the outcome of that? Another question is, is God justified in condemning sinners? When we read all of these passages from the Old Testament and you hear of God's judgment, does it bother you? Does it unsettle you? Is God justified in doing this? Why or why not? What, what do you say? And what does the Bible say? And lastly, what is my next step to increased 
godly influence? How can I be under the influence that God would have me to be under more? How can I be that influence to those around me? Can we help you take that next step? We want to. Let's pray together. Father, we need your help. We're forever in need. You are worthy. We are needy. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the timeless truth. All of these examples from the Old Testament to the New Testament, how people who were not stupid, Lord, they were not dumb and we're smart. They, they were foolish. They chose foolishly to give their ear and to give their lives and to give their voice to someone who was leading them astray, leading them away from you. So Father, let us hear your voice by your spirit, through your word, through your servant, this message incarnated, and let it hit the heart today. Let it resonate in our hearts today, Lord, so that we respond in humility and in faithfulness looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.